Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, we're going to be talking a little about spider mites. If you'd like to call in at any point during the show, our phone lines will be open. Our phone number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send me a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. So I've got my brother Darren out traveling, meeting with some farmers this week, and uh, I will be doing the same. Well, actually, I was this morning in southeast South Dakota. I'm back in the Morton studio now, and I'll be out around the region doing some other farmer meetings, some smaller farmer meetings, and just talking to you guys about what's really happening out in the field. So this morning in southeast South Dakota, and by the way, that area was hit harder on prevent plant than pretty much any other other area in the country. It is crazy the percent of unplanted acres down there. And unfortunately, the same thing happened in 1993. Lots of unplanted acres down in southeast South Dakota. So one of the things I was talking first about was Improving drainage. In terms of tiling, I just told the group this morning, I said, you know, I speak so passionately about tiling. And the reason why is because of the success that we have had on our farm with it. And it has literally transformed some of the things on our farm. And one of the the big things is just overall soil health. When you look at a healthy soil, the most important thing is that you have oxygen in that soil. So the soil microbes can live from day to day, week to week, and year to year. Without oxygen, a lot of them are dead. And then you have dead soil and you just don't have good crops. And it's hard to improve when you're killing off a lot of the beneficial microbes that are in the soil year after year with poor drainage. So you get that tile out there and that really improves things. Well, today on the show, we're going to be talking about spider mites. And I'll, uh, I'll discuss that a little more in the first segment here too. But if you want to call in and talk about spider mites at all, uh, that would be great. Love to hear from you on that. Spider mites are a big concern out there. It's just, we've got a lot of issues right now on the farm, right? I mean, everybody's concerned about crop prices. This drainage thing is a big deal. People are wondering, well, what do I do for seed traits next year? Because my seed dealer is already talking to me about seed traits. Now, the good news is a lot of seed prices are down year over year, so that's awesome. And also, Roundup pricing's out now. Roundup's down a little bit. Liberty's going to be way down for this year. But unfortunately, there are going to be some crop protection prices going up. And one of those could be some of the insecticides and certainly some of the miticides that you'd use for spider mites. So the thing with spider mites, I have always kind of grouped them together with the insects, but spider mites are different. You can't take most insecticides and go control spider mites. And to make things even worse, you can actually go out there with some of the insecticides and get what they call mite flare-ups because you kill a lot of the beneficials that could keep the mite populations down. So we really do get concerned about that. Now, I will say this. We're much more concerned in drier, hotter years. What ends up happening is when the mites are in a cooler, wetter environment, they will develop, there will be pathogens that will kill them. So uh, mite pathogens. And we don't see as many of those pathogens when it's hot and dry. It's just like with plants and diseases. We don't see as many diseases when it's hot and dry. So spider mites are usually worse in hot, dry years. 
If you have spider mites on a regular basis, you probably know that there are a lot of different miticides out there. Many cost quite a few dollars. We're lucky in much of the Midwestern United States and up into Canada because we still have bifenthrin, which is capture or brigade, and we have Lorsban, chlorpyrifos, and the bifenthrin and the chlorpyrifos actually do a really good job in our region on spider mites. So when it gets late in the year, like when we're out spraying in, let's say, mid-August, either on our corn or on our soybeans, for example, I do get concerned about mites at that time of year, and quite often we spend an extra couple bucks and put in either Lorsban or Bifenthrin just so we have better mite control and we don't have issues with flare-ups or anything like that. So anyway, this, this usually isn't a big issue where we farm in South Dakota. Mites aren't usually a big problem in North Dakota or Minnesota, going up into southern Canada as well, but they certainly can occur. And, you know, one of the worst problems that I see with spider mites is there aren't any established established thresholds, in part because it's hard to count these things. They are microscopic. So are you really going to go out there with a magnifying glass or microscope and painstakingly count a thousand spider mites on a leaf? or a plant? Yeah, I don't think so. So it gets to be really hard. When you see speckling out there, you go, oh, what the heck is that? And you start looking a little closer. Okay, well, maybe that is spider mites. And what we often talk to people about is when you get up to the ear leaf on corn, that's the point where, oh, now we got a real problem. Probably should have been spraying earlier or definitely getting spraying now. And on soybeans, you know, it's just hard to know. I would say this, soybeans, we're spraying later with more things. We're out there spraying fungicide commonly, doing a lot of foliar fertilizer now, even some microbials, naturals, we call them. So quite often you're out there anyway. You might as well throw in a miticide if it looks like you've got some spider mites out there. But again, we don't have any established thresholds in corn, soybeans, and wheat. You just kind of have to use your best judgment. And what I'm often looking at is, okay, what's the crop price and what's my yield potential? If I got a fairly decent crop price and I've got good yield potential, well, then I'm just going to spray at a lower threshold. And I'm going to do that with almost anything. I don't care what it is, weeds, insects, diseases. If I got good potential to make money, I really want to protect that. Well, again, today we'll talk about spider mites and really anything going on in your farm. If you want to call into the show, got any questions for us, be more than happy to answer those or just talk about anything that's happening on your farm. Our number here again is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can send me an email, radio at agphd.com or find me on Twitter, Brian Hefty or AgPHD Media. Well, stay tuned. We will talk about spider mites, take your phone calls, and we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag later in the show as well. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding agro liquid fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar feeding soybeans can provide the end-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. 
Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking a little about spider mites. And first on the show, we've got Joe calling in from out in Washington State. Joe, how you doing out there? Great. Just enjoying the uh, mild summer we're having. <laughs> yeah, uh, back here in the Midwest, we're kind of hoping for some heat the next couple of months to finish these crops off. Um, it has been a little mild, a little more than what we would like, but I guess as a human being, it's pretty been pretty nice outside, a little more uh, a little more moderate temperatures. So tell us about spider mites. We're talking about spider mites today. Do you have a big issue with those on your farm? Um, a big issue, probably not. Uh, it is an issue almost on every farm out here. Um, but as for big issue, I kind of look at it as, you know, the economic impact. Um, and, and even in the big, the major crops and potatoes, onions, corn, wheat, um, they do show up. But as for economic impact, they don't cause a lot of uh, loss of income. But that is, uh, you know, following uh, when they cut alfalfa, if you have a neighboring field there, uh, that is the exception to the rule or very dusty roads, heavily trafficked, um, those fields can tend to actually show some serious, you know, loss in yield and other things because of the spider mites. So do you spray very often for mites? Um, the answer is probably just for mites, no. Some of the other insecticides used, especially in potato rotations, do uh, control mites, but that being said, that's probably the number one issue we see with flaring up in spider mites is when you use a pyrethroid or carbamate or ganophosphate or something that, you know, dings a lot of these beneficials that actually will um, eat the spider mites. That is one time after like a carbamate or a pyrethroid, you'll see huge jumps in the spider mite numbers. So 
Um, there is a few miticides, some mild ones that uh, are sprayed, uh, especially for, like I said before, near alfalfa or dusty roads. Those guys are probably a little more active in spraying miticides, but um, not not generally is it solely to go after mites. Sure. So we were talking a little earlier in the show that at least in corn, soybeans, and wheat here in the Midwest, there are no established thresholds for when a person should spray spider mites. How about in potatoes or onions that you're raising? At what point would you be willing to pull the trigger? I mean, is there anything out there where they say, okay, if it reaches this level, you really should do something? And I would say, again, no. For us, it's and it's so, and I don't want to say minor because every farm probably has them. I, I mean, but as for the threshold, I mean, it's not something we even talk about um, compared to other insects and diseases, you know, potato beetle, uh, you, you name it. There's a whole list that we struggle with here, but mites isn't one of them. But again, a lot of the, the insecticides we use, or, or many of them do actually have some effect on mites. So to say we don't spray, but as for an economic or a, a threshold, the number where we decide it's time to go out there, I don't think we've even established one here because it's not a a major concern for us. All right, so mites, in other words, haven't been too bad for you this year. Are there any other problems that you're seeing in your operation or just in your area? Anything that really stands out to you this year more than normal? Um. <clears throat> because it's so mild and and I would say almost maybe eight degrees cooler as an average temp through the summer for us. Um, and it really, I mean, it's really been a struggle to mature wheat. And, you know, I'm sure for us, corn will be a little late. Now, we don't generally get the winter setting in as early as some of you do in the Midwest to where I don't think we're too <laughs> alarmed, but it's yeah. definitely been slow coming along. Um, but bugs have been, disease and insects have actually been mild this year compared to, you know, years when it's high heat and humidity. And, uh, you know, it's just been knock on wood, but it's been pretty pleasant, as you said, for the humans on this uh, in the area. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It's kind of the same thing over here where we farm in South Dakota. I will tell you, though, I bought more propane in July than I've ever bought in my life because I'm a little concerned about wet corn this fall, too. So, uh, hey, Joe, yeah. uh, Joe, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate you calling in, and best of luck to you here as you go into the harvest season. You bet. Thank you. Yep. All right, next on, we've got Lowell Sandell calling in. He is with Valent down in Nebraska. Hey, Lowell, how are you? Doing great. How are you doing? Excellent. All right, so we're talking about spider mites today. What kind of questions are you getting this year from growers in Nebraska about that? Well, you know, most of our uh, spider mite market is, is actually down in the western Kansas and front yep. range of Colorado yep. uh, area out there. And, you know, they've had they've had pretty decent uh, pressure uh, this year, and there's been um, – it, it's been it's been a – pretty rough uh, spider mite year out in, in, in that geography. But not too bad in Nebraska so far? Not too bad in Nebraska. You know, yep. we've been kind of, uh, we, we've had excessive rain in, in a lot of areas, and, you know, sometimes that, that helps uh, keep them down a, a, a little bit. When you get the hotter, drier conditions, um, they, they, tend to, they tend to build uh, pretty quickly uh, under those conditions. So we've, we've been talking a little bit about thresholds. Is there anything that you tell people when it comes to, let's say, corn, soybeans, or wheat? At what point should a guy pull the trigger? 
Well, uh, you know, a, a lot of the craft consultants will keep their eyes um, uh, pretty glued on, on these fields uh, out here in, in the high high plains. And um, you know, like you said, there's there's not really a specific threshold, but as they see colonies build um, on on regular checks and start to move up the plant with your uh, two spotted spider mites or carmine mites, um, you know, it, it's kind of a as you see them move up. Um, it's it kind of triggers the the decision to to go ahead and 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 treat and uh, a lot of times what we see with what, when making like zeal applications um, we see folks uh, be a little more proactive uh, with that so right there on the front side of of you know my population starting to build is when folks are going to have most uh success uh making applications and, and keeping them down uh for the year okay so you mentioned your product zeal what's different about zeal than some of the other miticides out there yeah like your uh, uh your previous caller uh, mentioned there um zeal is is a true miticide uh so you're you're uh, basically not affecting any of the beneficials. Uh, your previous caller mentioned how some of the beneficial insects really help keep mite populations down. And, you know, a product like Zeal basically only targets uh, mites and leaves a, a lot of the beneficials uh, in place to kind of basically keep the populations in check and um, you know, you, you don't get the flare-ups when you, as compared to when you use like a organophosphate or a pyrethroid type of a approach for mite control. Now, you mentioned spraying early. What kind of residual could a grower expect when spraying zeal? You know, it, it it always depends on what the environmental conditions are. But, sure. you know, a lot of times our, our folks do talk about uh, four to five good weeks of of residual uh, out of a product, and that uh, that does um, you know we, it depends on how the life cycle of the mites go uh, as well. Um, you could get a little longer uh, than that. Um, just kind of depends on how, how they cycle through through the crop. How about zeal on a number of different crops out there? Is it labeled on most crops? Yeah, our, our uh, SC liquid formulation is is labeled on on corn and soybeans. Um, when you get to some of the specialty crops, we still have our our dry formulation uh, out there, and it it does um, it it can be applied to a, a number of uh, specialty crops out there. But the uh, the the liquid formulation is is pretty much uh, corn, soybeans, and and, and cotton. Yeah, this zeal is something we've used on our farm as well, trying to reduce some mite populations when that was our only concern out there. And we also worry a little about the resistance issues that are starting to or continuing to develop with chlorpyrifos and bifenthrin. We've been talking to Lowell Sandell. He is with Valent. Lowell, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. All right, we'll talk a little more about spider mites, and we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag later in the show as well. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, 
We ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding Agro Liquid Fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar feeding soybeans can provide the end-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grace on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Graze on Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit LeaveTheWeedsToUs.com to learn more about Graze on Next. Always read and follow label directions. In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit grainphd.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. We've been talking about spider mites today, and next we've got Ron Meyer on with us. He is an extension agronomist with Colorado State University. Ron, how are you today? Oh, we got you there, Ron. Yep. Okay. All right. Yep. Now, now, now we can hear you. Okay. Uh, so, Ron, we've been talking about spider mites today, and I know out in the state of Colorado, you're dealing with these things on a fairly regular basis. Where do you start when a farmer calls you up and says, "Hey, I think I got an issue with spider mites"? Yeah. So they are common occurrence here in in the West, and uh, we see them early in the year. They typically don't bother much until the weather warms up, so midsummer and later. And so the first thing uh, you know we talk about is uh, what is the the corn what do corn plants look like or are they firing in the on the bottom uh, are you using bottom leaves and uh, do you think you're cutting and so you know that's uh, 
the first thing we try and determine is uh, how bad is the infestation. And typically, we don't get too excited about spider mites. That population gets to the ear level, then we start getting pretty serious. Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier in the show. It's that ear leaf that we get concerned about. And and one thing, too, so there are a lot of farmers out there that may not know exactly what we mean by the ear leaf. Usually what we're talking about is where the main ear is coming out, the leaf that's right below that. And a lot of times, even for me, I'm looking at one or two leaves below that because I just get concerned. Usually those spider mites kind of work their way up the plant. Isn't that what you usually find? Exactly what we see. They start low on the plant and they'll work their way up. And uh, the hotter and drier the weather is, uh, the faster they reproduce. And so, right, uh, when they start getting close to the ear, it's time for concern because if you're not going to come back to that field for seven days and it's hot and dry, uh, they could easily surpass the ear leaf and, and uh, keep moving up. All right, so we've been talking about corn a little bit, but in the state of Colorado, there are a lot of different crops that are raised. Are there crops that spider mites, let's say, prefer more than corn in your state or crops where you say, boy, the guys have to treat on a more regular basis than they would in corn? Alfalfa is one of those that, that tend to get mites. Uh, and the reason is alfalfa greens up early and stays green late, and so it's it's a good uh, um, place for mites to proliferate. So uh, we see them in, in uh, other crops. Alfalfa is one of them. Uh, we we'll also see them in flowers once in a while, although they prefer grass plants versus broadleaf plants. So uh, we have a lot of corn in eastern Colorado, and so that's the crop we typically focus on. Yeah. Uh, when we start talking about alfalfa and sunflowers, well, alfalfa especially, I guess, uh, it's a it's alfalfa is a perennial crop. So to your point, it is going to green up a little bit earlier and everything. Uh, but it it's a lot different than corn in that we're going to have many different cuttings as we go throughout the season. And a lot of times when a guy cuts the alfalfa, it's going to sit out there a while. And usually it's we don't see as much regrowth with alfalfa insects. I, I mean, when there are a lot of insects out there, we don't see that regrowth. And then that's when I get the phone calls and the guy's still got alfalfa alfalfa laying out there that he hasn't bailed up or something. I mean, do you have a lot of issues with guys uh, like halfway through and you go, hey, wait a second, you got a pre-harvest interval here with the miticide, so now you might have to wait. I mean, I assume that's got to be a real challenge for you, especially in some of the irrigated alfalfa. Yeah, that's so true. And so, uh, you know, if spider mites are uh, heavy early before, before cutting, they're in there 10 days before cutting, um, you know, we're telling guys, you, you may have to treat. And um, the the other piece to that, though, is a lot of times we get four cuttings of alfalfa. Uh, there are times when the flare-up occurs right before a cutting, and there we're telling folks, don't don't treat, just cut it, and, uh, you know, as soon as you can, haul that, haul that crop away. Yeah, alfalfa is one of those things. You just be in there often and uh, look, and the spider mites can get in there and real damage, especially if they get in early and you've got two weeks to cutting to go yet. All right. Last question that I've got for you. Out in your state, it's much more arid than even where we're at. We are a lot more humid. Um, you don't have that humidity there. You don't have as much moisture. You do have a little more heat sometimes, and then the mites continue to thrive. So can you talk to us about in the wetter, cooler environments, what what is it in terms of a pathogen that, that ends up developing and we see fewer mite issues? <laughs> 
Oh, you know, they have, uh, so spider mites are, you know, a pretty serious issue for us. You're right. We're lots of times, uh, summer days, 90 degrees, 95, and 15, 10, 15% low. That's, that's their perfect kind of weather. Yeah. But as far as uh, predators go out, uh, we, we have a lot of predators here. Some here, so, you know, lace wings, and there's some predatory mites jump on. And uh, there's, there's probably a handful of predators out there that that actually feed on spider mites. And so uh, we also look at that before control. Because lots of times if we're controlling mites, we're going to take the predator out of the picture as well. And so we'll be very careful about that, especially if we're spraying for something other than mites, such as western bee cutworm. There were dead population down, and we most expect a mite flare-up after yeah. that. So uh, predator bugs are very important. And so we oftentimes are looking to see what kind of populations the predators are uh, out there. Sometimes hold off on treatment. Uh, predator insects are a high enough number. Yeah, if we can get control of anything for free, that's the way we want to go. We've been talking to Ron Meyer with Colorado State University. Ron, thanks for the time. Great stuff as always. Appreciate it. Yeah, good talking to you again. All right, let's go next to Minnesota. We've got Brent on with us over there. He's a farmer. Hey, Brent, how are you? I'm doing very well. Excellent. So you've had some mite issues in the past. Have you done much spraying ever on your farm? We have in the past. Um, last year we didn't have a lot of pressure, and this year we haven't had much pressure either. So we've been able to relax a little bit, still scouting and looking, but the numbers really aren't there for us this year. Yeah, I didn't figure they would be. They haven't been an issue for us either. When we're cooler and wetter, then we just see a lot more mite mortality, and we don't have the big flare-ups like we, we would in a hot, dry year. So um, at what point is it in the past that you have pulled the trigger? Has it been at corn or soybeans, or what were you looking for? No, always in soybeans. I don't know that I've ever done a treatment in corn for us sure. that one it'd be too cumbersome our fields are too small and we don't have i think you'd do more crop damage trying to do a rescue mission than you would good at sure. least near us you yeah. get away from us and there's options yeah. that are much greater but um so it means yeah and generally they kind of go hand in hand with aphids so it's it kind of seems to be you're going for one or both and generally use a product that's capable of both sure so like brigade or something i assume you've used in the past by fenthrin yep yep and then uh yeah definitely brigade has been used especially you know specifically for spider mites you know i've gone to warrior or something if we're just going after the aphids right yeah and i know over in minnesota they're getting to be more resistant aphids so that's where a lot of guys are switching from brigade over to lores band going with the chlorpyrifos that also can control mites at least in minnesota yeah luckily i haven't had any control issues um good hopefully we can keep it that way <laughs> yeah that, that's for sure all right so brent i got about a minute left Tell me about your farm this year. Did you have a lot of prevent plant, or how the crops looking? Uh, crops are either good or they're not good. There's really not a lot of middle ground, yeah. and that really comes back to soil type, whether it's tiled or not, and soil type. We really kind of had three planting windows. We started on time, I would call it, got about two days worth of planting going, 
got two weeks of rain, got two more days, and then I would call that late planting, and got two more weeks of rain, and then another two days of planting, and have really late planted corn. So it's a lot of fields look good from the outside at this point. You know, those outside four yep. to six rows generally right. don't have a tire track. Yep. Um, they didn't get compaction. Yep. Man, you start getting inside and it falls apart fast. Yep. We're seeing a lot of that exact same thing all throughout the country. Hey, Brent, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. And best of luck to you as you finish up this season. No problem. Talk to you guys again sometime. You bet. Thank you. All right, we'll talk a little more spider mites and get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up next. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the STEPS GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. We're going to get right back to the phone lines here. We've got David calling in from Pennsylvania. Hey, David, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Brian. How are you this afternoon? Great. Here you got a question about your planter? Yeah, well, my brother and I are uh, taking over the family uh, farm here in southwest PA here and uh, got some old school corn planters here. We've been using granulated starter fertilizer for years and uh, we have uh, uh, Ag Progress Days and uh, Penn, up near Penn State uh, okay. every year we go and we're looking at getting into some uh, bulk seed planters looking at a deer and a Kenzie planter and sure. it's all kind of new to us as far as we you know know a lot of people um, from northwest PA that are doing dry fertilizer for starter people are using pop-up you know so it's all kind of foreign to us you know but uh, we've always and we plant all our corn and beans with a corn planter okay. uh, we believe in putting you know fertilizer in row for beans and uh, we just get a lot of, uh, you know, kickback from some guys. We have a, a larger grower than us. We grow about, you know, we go over 1,000 acres, but he's maybe two, 3,000 acres. And he kind of converted back to granular fertilizer. Like, we usually use um, a 10-20-20 most of the time. Uh, we used um, that this year, the uh, 15, I think it's 11 because we put a lot of potash down last year. But we're just kind of have a basic simple question like if we're going to go to liquid we're looking to get a planter where we can handle larger bulk loads of seed uh we're, we're upgrading from we're running two planters we're running a six row and a four row in our part of the world and actually we're looking to grade up to either a 12 or a 16 row and one man's going to do the job versus two yep and we were kind of thinking about going liquid and like we put an estimate together with Kenzie for some different options, but sure. do you guys, I watch your show a lot on YouTube and do you guys have any, uh, with as much as you know about different types of pop-up fertilizers or in-row fertilizers, do you see much difference like using a granular versus a liquid as far as yield is concerned in the long run? Yes. Uh, my first question for you, though, is are are you going to put this in the seed furrow? Are you going to do two by two? Or what was your what what are you doing with the dry if you went dry? It's two by two. It's, okay. it's um, like like last year we used some ammonium sulfate. So we stay a little too far away, about four inches. So we moved back over to our normal two by two standard. And we're considering the pop up with the two by two. But the two by two concept is what we're most most have the questions about is, you know, for the yield okay so i i will tell you this we like on the well for one thing with planting it's nice when you can roll so you want to try to get as much done as you can in a day that's usually the mission for most farmers out there so to carry ridiculous huge amounts of fertilizer a person can certainly do it we've done some of that before but it obviously Mm -hmm. slows you up a little bit our number one concern always with dry is the salt content so when we get anything especially in the furrow then we don't like dry period in the furrow because of the amount of salt so it pulls moisture away from that seed and we just sometimes it works fine now if you get plenty of moisture and certainly where you're at in the united states you guys get more moisture than we do Uh, but you know so you have less risk but still there is some risk with dry Uh, we have we used to do some stuff at let's say three by three 
uh, wasn't two by two, but it was three by three, maybe four by four, depending on how we set it up with that, which with each planter. But um, we right. used to do that with dry, and that works pretty well. We currently do a lot of strip till, and I really like that because now I've split off the fertilizer from the planter, so we're putting on higher rates with dry, and then what we do is run lower rates with the planter, and we'll actually do some of that stuff in furrow to get the crop off to a a faster start. A lot of times we're planting into cold soils, and it does absolutely help when you run low rates of low salt liquid fertilizer in furrow. So we really do like that, but that's not enough, obviously, to take the crop all the way through. So you got to do something else. So either guys are broadcasting, or we really like the idea of strip till. So if you want to run dry two by two, you certainly can. I don't know a lot of guys that do that anymore. They're either running two by two liquid or infrared liquid. Otherwise, the dry, like I say, is either strip till or broadcast predominantly across the United States. Yeah, well, we we've had good success with that. There, you know, in sure. our part of the world, there, if you're pushing 170, 150 bushel corn, and then we're doing you know 45 bushel beans, that's pretty good. But well, my original question was, is if we go to this new type of planter and we're going to go with liquid two by two and then a pop-up fertilizer there, is, you know, when you compare granular, you know, just when you eliminate everything else in the room and you look at granular fertilizer versus liquid fertilizer, say it's the same. Okay. Makeup, Got, it. Got it. Is liquid going to have a disadvantage to granular? The advantage liquid has is it's ready to go right now. The advantage dry has, typically, is it's cheaper. So that's why, quite frankly, we use dry to build soil levels, and we use liquid to feed the plant early on in the season when, you know, some of the rest of the soil fertility might not necessarily be available, the roots aren't big, all those kind of things. The dry hasn't broken down yet, whatever. So on almost every single acre we do, and you can talk to almost any real high-yield farmer out there, they're not just using one form of fertilizer. They're using multiple forms, so they have stuff available right away, and they have stuff available later on in the year. Well, we do um, side dressing with N, and sure. we are using some sulfur. So, and that has, I mean, we've been very lucky this year compared to the rest of the nation. We've actually had a normal summer with the proper amount of rainfall, I would consider. Sure. And, you know, we're, we're going to be starting to harvest. We have a dairy, too, so we're going to be you know, starting to harvest silage here in another week and a half. And the corn um, in June, um, it was a little cooler and wetter for us in May. The corn looked very sick in June, had, uh, especially at the main farm where uh, I think we have some compaction issues with manure tankers. But once we went through and we uh, applied the liquid end with drop hoses, um, the corn you know, really responded to that and did well. And that's a farm there, too, where rotation is not always an option for silage. We do rotate some beans in there and we plant alfalfa. But it's not as frequent as it is like with our rented crop. Well, you know, so that's kind of some of the stuff we're considering. Sure. Yeah. And side dress stuff is great. And I mean, there are leachable nutrients that you might need to to put on multiple times during the season, like nitrogen and sulfate. I'm glad you mentioned those. Usually when we talk about building soil overall and the 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 biggest use of dry fertilizer, it's P and it's K. So you mentioned earlier eleven fifty two O and potash, and those are the two big ones. So we use those to build the soils, but then we're also using 
some liquid so it's available early in the year, it's close to the plant, all that kind of stuff. I, I guess the other big thing that I would say is, since you mentioned, okay, the crop looked better after I got nitrogen and sulfur on, that just leads me, well, let's put it this way. We don't want the crop to ever have a bad day. So the idea right. is we got to figure out, okay, what's going wrong? You mentioned compaction, so maybe maybe it is reducing compaction. Maybe it's just need a little more calcium in your soil to get better porosity there, and you'll have less compaction. Maybe it's more nitrogen and sulfur a little bit early in the year. I mean, we're constantly tweaking these things, too, as our yields keep going up. Okay, what is the right timing for getting these things on? And I will just say, I think a lot of people now with corn are pushing it so far where we're, we're putting a big load on side dress we may not be getting enough early in the year for that plant so we just have to make sure that right. we're getting that addressed yeah we're and we're, we're trying to do some things too where we're planting a rye cover crop or doing a burn down air building organic matter um the main farm where the dairy is is about uh, 400 acres and uh, we have some heavier soils there too in certain places a lot of clay <laughs> So now, I think a lot of those things okay. to affect too. All right. Now, you just gave me one uh, quick thing that you said there, rye cover crop. That rye is going to tie up some of your nitrogen right away. So that leads wow. me to believe, I, you know, I'm going to guess part of the issue is you got to get a little more nitrogen. You might not necessarily need more total, but I'd move more a little bit earlier because some is probably getting tied up in that that rye and then it's probably coming available a little bit later in the year for you uh so i just move that up a little bit hey uh david we got to get running here but uh, thanks a lot for the call hopefully we helped you out a little bit and good luck with the new planter i I appreciate that brian thank you for having me you bet yeah thanks yeah david was mentioning going from like four row and six row up to 12 or 16 yep i remember those days when we did that and then i also remember when we got our first 24 row planter uh, so we're running a couple of 24-row planters on our farm now, and the technology has just gotten so much better. So we can go and monitor every single row. Every row can move on its own. We've got, um, you know, the uh, pressure can individually be controlled. And just the planter technology today is so much better than it was even 20 years ago. It's amazing. All right, well, we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. That's coming up next here on Ag PhD Radio. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. The Guardian Air Twin Spray Nozzle from Hypro produces a twin spray pattern with air-inducted droplets for superior coverage, even in dense canopies. Be effective and efficient with your spray application this season with the Guardian Air Twin. Hypro, helping you spray better. 
The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus, LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. We plant corn in Iowa, spray soybeans in Illinois. We pull calves in Kansas, farrow hogs in Minnesota. We raise rice in Arkansas, rye in Canada, and wheat everywhere in between. We farm millions of acres across North America and build every piece of Case IH equipment. Built by farmers, for farmers. Case IH, rethink productivity. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first question of the day comes from Brian in northern Missouri. He says, we don't have any drain tile around here, but we do have some bottom fields that need improved drainage. I just don't know how narrow we need to go with our spacing to keep from getting a wave effect of moisture in the spring. Is there a good way of deciding what spacing should be used? I'm just not sure how much our water will move side to side. All right, so first of all, Brian, unfortunately, a lot of things are just quite frankly trial and error. So I would just encourage you, if you know it's a super wet field and you've traditionally had issues there, I would set it up so you could add more tile later. So in other words, the big key is I'd put in a big enough main line is how I would handle that. Anyway, I just a minute ago sent our producer for the day. Uh, my sister Janelle is behind the glass um, and Dryson also. But anyway, Janelle, I just emailed you for uh, Brian here. You can send this on to him. And it's from the University of Minnesota. University of Minnesota has some great stuff. And they talk about different drain tile spacings for the type of soil that you have and what you are looking for in terms of how well you want it drained. And what it really comes back to is your drainage coefficient. In other words, how much water do you want to get rid of per acre per day? So let's say, for example, you had you wanted a half-inch drainage coefficient and you had a clay loam soil. They would tell you 35-foot spacing. And I would tell you, um, if you've got real heavy ground and it's river bottom fields, I might even go narrower than that. We've got some as narrow as 20, 25 foot spacings. But again, it's just, it's a little bit trial and error and you kind of have to do what you think is best. We've got 
two fields where we went to super tight spacings because they were both, guess what, river bottom ground, and they were traditionally the wettest fields that we had. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to spend the extra money and have this thing over with. And boy, that has made a difference. I mean, literally side by side where I've got this neighbors have prevent plant, we have what hopefully is going to be 250 bushel corn. All right. Uh, next one here is from Russell in Mississippi. He says, we've started, hi, Brian and Darren, we have started doing some tissue sampling in our farm this year. We chose four locations that we pulled tests on every other Monday since the soybeans were at V3. My question is, do nutrient levels normally drop when the crop starts filling pods? We're working to build soil test levels and balancing our soils, but we're probably not there yet. We plan on pulling soil samples again after harvest. Our potassium levels have especially dropped on the last two tests at the R5 and R6 stages. I'm attaching the last test, and all the earlier results are mostly sufficient to high ranges. Also, at what growth stage do you recommend no longer testing? Thanks for all you do to help farmers. Well, thanks for the question, Russell. I would just tell you potassium is the number one thing that we commonly see for soybeans and a deficiency. So you've got to get that potassium up. And what we usually find is not only do you have to have the parts per million high, but you need the base saturation K way up there. So I'd like to see at least 4% base saturation K. And quite frankly, for uh, really high yield, I'd prefer 6 to 8% base saturation K. All right, so anyway, looking at his test, he's down as low as one part per million on his K levels here at that R5, R6 stage. So yeah, I, I will just say this, Russell. When the beans start to senesce, when they start to turn yellow, then we're done taking tissue tests because we know that the plant is cannibalizing itself. It's robbing nutrients out of the leaves, putting it into the seed, and that's fine. You know, we, we, we want that to happen. At R5 or R6, is that happening? Well, I don't think you have enough K in your plants. I would also say you've got some other nutrients we'd be a little bit concerned about, even boron. And that's one we've been continually working to improve. But yeah, your phosphorus is getting down there, magnesium. you got several nutrients that I would be a little bit concerned about. All right, let's jump back to the phone lines. We've got Todd calling in from Ohio. Hey, Todd, how are you? Real good. Hey, um, I'm getting ready to put some field tile in. And okay. the guy recommended recommended putting three inch tile in. Okay. And I wanted to know how close to put them. Okay. What do you know? What your cation exchange capacity is in your soil? How heavy is your soil? It's really good soil. I, I, that's all I can tell you. It's in Bainwork County, Ohio, but it's real good dirt. Okay. A lot of sand in it. Okay. So, it it it's. I, if it was me, I would like to look at a soil test so I can see what your cation exchange capacity level is. And the other thing, as soon as you mention sand, that makes me a little bit nervous because with fine sand, it's very possible that that can get into your tile line and fill that tile line up much faster than we'd like. So a lot of people will run either narrow slot tile or they'll put a sock around the tile to protect it from that sand. But 
I, I would just say this. If we've got heavy ground, so let's say we're talking 20 to 30 cation exchange capacity, and I really want great drainage, like half an inch or better drainage coefficient, I'm down in the 20 to 30, 35-foot spacing. If, let's say, I've got a 15 cation exchange capacity, so medium soil, and I'm not that concerned about drainage, three-eighths of an inch per day, per acre per day, up to half inch, you know, maybe 50-foot spacing. But then lighter soils, you know, if i got a 10 cation cation exchange capacity where I have some sand, maybe like what you're talking, but I'm not sure. I got a little bit of sand. It's not super poorly drained. I might even be 75 foot spacing. The other big thing I would tell you, Todd, is the deeper you go with the tile line, the farther apart your lines can be. So we've found some tile literally in our area that's 100 years old, clay tile, and they had dug it in by hand six feet deep. And you go, oh my gosh, those guys were nuts. But I want you to think about 100 years ago, they had no money, so they couldn't afford to buy the tile. What they could do, though, is they could dig. They had plenty of labor, so they took their time digging super deep, so then they didn't have to have their tile lines very close together at all. They could be real far apart. So if you, you want to have tile lines like we do at three-foot depth, uh, then you got to be closer together. If you want to have them down at four or five feet deep, well, now you could maybe be an extra 10 or 20 feet apart. So I know I've given you a lot of information, and I mentioned this earlier about tile. There are, there are a lot of things here that are a little bit trial and error. So how I would set it up is I'd set it up so your main tile line can take out all the water you possibly want to take out during the year. Then you put your three-inch lines in, maybe a little wide, and worst-case scenario, you can split them later. Now, one other thing I'll bring up since you said three-inch. So our, our, my dad was originally from Iowa, where all the ground was pattern tiled. And so he had all kinds of experience with tile. And we started tiling ourselves about 12 years ago. And he said, okay, boys, here's the thing. If you can afford it, never go three inch, always go four inch. Never go four inch, always go six inch. Never go six inch, always go eight inch. In other words, he always wanted everything upsized a little bit more because he said the tile's going to last longer. You're going to be happier with it. So he said, if you can afford it, put in a little bit bigger lines all the time. So we've never used three inch. We've always gone four inch as our smallest. And I'm not, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't go three inch or anything else, but I'm just telling you the three inch will fill in faster than the four inch and the three inch obviously won't carry as much water. So what I always will do is I look at, okay, total cost of my project, what would it cost to put in three inch lines and eight inch mains versus what would it cost to put in four inch lines and 10 inch mains, for example. And I say, okay, I'm going to have this tile for 50 years. Is it worth the extra dollars? In some cases I say no. And most of the time I say yes, but at least take a look at that a little bit and, and think about it before you do it. Anything else, Todd? Hey, thanks a lot. You bet. Thanks yep, for calling. Thanks a lot. Yep, I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how almost any question, I'm going to stretch it out to several minutes because there is just uh, a, a lot to talk about in general. All right. Uh, let's see. I've got time for one more question, I think. And let's see. I had one here on manganese that I really wanted to get to. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, so this one comes from Dennis, and he asks about... Uh, raising manganese levels. He says, will manganese sulfate blend with MAP or DAP without settling out? Look, you want to look at the bulk density and talk to your fertilizer dealer about this. 
Okay, so I don't know uh, in your case and what all you're going to mix and everything, but talk to your fertilizer dealer. But yes, I do get concerned about that. But also keep in mind, a lot of fertilizer applicators have multiple bins. So maybe you can spread that separately too, or spread it all in the same pass, but it's in a separate bin so it can be spread accurately. But anyway, here's the comment I really wanted to get to. He says, my soil test shows from three parts per million to 10 parts per million and where it's low, I have white mold problems. Dennis, we have found this to be true. Where manganese levels are low, we find more white mold. So you want to do something to address it. So I would consider manganese sulfate. That's a cheap way to build your soil. But then I would also consider using some manganese, either foliar feeding or with the planter or potentially even both. We're doing some of that on our farm and it's helping. All right, well, before we go, I just want to say thanks to our production staff. Really appreciate the work you guys do. Thanks to all our guests today and everybody who called or wrote in with questions. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now, stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.